The China and Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Witt University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on Africa-China relations through innovative training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.co.za. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander. And as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, all summer, you and I have been talking about the run-up to the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation Summit, which is now really just about a month away. It will happen in Beijing. Some 50 African leaders will descend on the Chinese capital for what really can be described as the biggest confab of the year for for China-Africa relations. It happens every three years. And so many people focus on the big aid and financial assistance package numbers. So if you recall from 2015, uh, $60 billion was the number. Uh, prior to that, it was $20 billion, And that does capture the lion's share of headlines. But separate, away from the discussion of the money, there are a number of other tracks that are being discussed. And this is something that's very important to remember when we're thinking about FOCAC, is that it's not just about loans and resources. There is a lot going to be happening at this summit. And in preparation for the summit, all summer we've been seeing developments in China related to FOCAC and these different tracks. So earlier in the summer, Kobus, you were in Beijing as part of the Think Tank Forum. And so the Chinese brought over, let's say, dozens or hundreds of, uh, of China-Africa analysts. And then earlier in the summer, even before that, was a two-week affair where China brought over 50 military chiefs from various African countries. And that was really impressive. And that's going to be the focus of our conversation today, talking about the military aspect of the relationship and the preparation of what we're going to see at FOCAC. Kobus, based on what you saw in the Think Tank Forum, what do you expect happened at the Military Chiefs Forum? It's an interesting question and one that I find a little bit difficult to answer because it was two weeks of African military chiefs Essentially, you know, touring bases and attending talks, um, it's, it's, it's quite opaque to me, but, but it is significant that China managed to get to those such high-level people there for so long. I think it, it does seem to indicate that there might be closer, you know, military ties or, you know, cooperation agreements might might surface at FOCAC, you know, because because these forums are they do the work of of refining talking points and refining um, ideas in in the run up to FOCAC. But yeah, so so it's 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 very interesting for me to see, and it certainly indicates how the range of China Africa cooperation is really expanding. Now, the military relationship is cannot be overstated with how important uh, it's becoming in the China-Africa relationship. A lot of us have talked about the new military base in Djibouti. Uh, others don't know that actually China is the uh, single largest contributor of the UN uh, Security Council permanent members with more than 2,400 troops under Blue Helmet Command uh, across Africa. There are combat-ready troops in South Sudan, in Mali. Uh, there are support uh, operations going on in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, the People's Armed Police, the PAP, are active in places like Liberia, mostly doing post-conflict stabilization. PLA forces are also were also involved in the Ebola crisis uh, of uh, several years ago. Those were a lot of those were soldiers that were sent as well. So the military relationship is deepening. It's very, very complex. And uh, so we thought it would be great to 
look into what is going to happen at FOCAC and where we are today in the military relationship. So we are so thrilled to have back on the show uh, Assistant Professor Lena Ben-Abdallah of Wake Forest, Inter- of Wake Forest University, uh, where she is a uh, professor of politics and international affairs. A very good afternoon to you, Lena. Good afternoon, Eric and Kobus. Well, Lena, thank you so much for joining us, and we really appreciate it. You recently wrote an article for The Washington Post, China-Africa military ties have deepened. Here are four things to know. Why don't you give us the headline of what what are the four things that we need to know and, and what is so important right now at this moment in time about the China-Africa military relationship? Uh, right. I mean, some of the things you have discussed already in your introduction with, with Cobus, and these include... Um, so this idea that, that China is interested in building closer ties to African countries in terms of defense and security and is interested in portraying itself as a serious partner when it comes to defense and security. In a way, as you said, China has established itself as a very serious partner when it comes to economic relations, trade, investments, loans, development, etc. But this realm of defense and security is uh, pretty much, uh, we cannot say very new, but it's, it's, a, it's a gradually, uh, China has gradually been increasing its uh, uh, ties and connections with African countries in this realm. So this forum does precisely that. It signals uh, a, a big, uh, serious interest uh, and on the part of China and also 50 African uh, countries sent either chief or senior uh, military officials to this forum. So it was very well attended. So that also shows the willingness from the African side to participate in this conversation and to entertain this idea of um, uh, dealing on, uh, with China as a, as a, as a serious security partner. Um, the other thing uh, that I mentioned in the article is this idea of uh, really building a strong uh, web of networks, which I think is really critical, and, and, I, and, I, and I believe it to be sort of the core of the difference of China's foreign policy in Africa uh, versus, say, other Western countries, and this idea of um, building a strong network uh, and this idea of people-to-people connection. And, and, and I think that one of the, the, the biggest importances of this uh, whole forum diplomacy, whether it's FOCAC or forum diplomacy for journalists or for military attaches, is this idea of bringing uh, together everybody around the table and building and creating this personal connection and personal network and expanding these networks uh, with uh, or, or between African and, and Chinese counterparts. Uh, and I think this is very important. So we already know that China has and conducts uh, a ton of uh, joint um, uh, drills and live fire military exercises. Uh, there's, there's, there are all kinds of uh, such things happening all the time. But the significance of this forum is definitely to bring everybody together to the table, is to create this impact of uh, flying in all these high military officials to China to see the capabilities of China. And this is a third uh, point that I mentioned, is this market, uh, it's it's a marketing strategy in a sense also for China's capabilities, both in terms of armaments, equipments, as Cobus mentioned, we imagine that uh, there were lots of visits during these two weeks. And I also imagine that the, two, the, the visits uh, must have included also equipments and armaments and hardware. And I think that that also sort of sells a little bit this idea of China as a, uh, as a, as a power, as a strong power, and it markets in a, in a way uh, Chinese uh, weapons. And we know that 
China already is a, a big seller of small weapons to African countries, but not necessarily big hardware and, and, uh, and armaments. And I think that this forum serves as that, as sort of is given, given this image uh, and, and marketization of Chinese equipments, Chinese knowledge, Chinese know-how uh, in, terms of, in terms of military capabilities. Um, and I think, as I said in the article, the other thing that this forum shows us is there's, there's a certain pattern to whenever there's something new in terms of Chinese diplomacy or foreign policy, it happens to be with African countries. So, so the first forum diplomacy was FOCAC, as you guys mentioned, and it was in the year 2000 with African countries. The first military base was in Africa. The first lots of things happened with Africa. So in my imagination, uh, this forum diplomacy for military attaches is not going to just stop with Africans. And I think that testing the waters in, so to speak, with African uh, military attaches might give a launching pad for doing similar thing with, 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 with other regions. That's a very important point. You know, if, if you look at, at China's um, relationship with Africa, what, what are China's biggest um, strategic preoccupations in, in relation to Africa? They have the base there. They, they you know, they fo they're focusing a lot on on peacekeeping and particularly kind of relatively geographically um, contained peacekeeping. But you know, they, this forum seems to also suggest that they're, they're making plans for for larger, wider engagement in the future. Can you give us an idea of like what some of China's strategic priorities might be? I think you've you've already touched on some of the most important ones. Um, China is, as you mentioned, um, both the largest contributor among the UN peacekeeping permanent members of of, of troops but also the second largest uh, financial uh, or financing power for peacekeeping uh, missions for the UN. And um, China wants to continue to do that. And uh, in a way, um, both in terms of training or providing peacekeepers on the ground, but also, but also training peacekeepers, training lots of African peacekeepers in China uh, uh, and now and in the future. So there's a big focus on that as well. Uh, but second, I, I think, I mean, another strategic interest is the simple uh, self-interested or self-motivated protection of uh, Chinese businesses and Chinese interests. I mean, we all remember the backdrop of what happened in Libya, for example, and that sort of showed a huge gap in uh, China's preparedness to, to do something about that. And I think that that's a huge self-motivation uh, there. I mean, thirdly, I think, I think um, as you mentioned, uh, there's a big focus and, and interest in, um, and, in this Belt and Road Initiative. And that comes with the idea of uh, having to, to have, well, first of all, there's the military or the naval base in Djibouti, but there are talks here and there about there, that not being the first one or the only one. Uh, and that might have to do with the maritime uh, belt uh, or maritime aspect of the Belt and Road Initiative. And, 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 and if that is to continue, if this trend is to continue, we, we will see China being more and more interested in having a, a big role to play in the security of the Indian Ocean. Uh, and with that, we will have to come to this idea of having more and more close ties uh, with uh, or naval uh, uh, presence uh, along the, the 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 coast, and so we 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 might see um, uh, increasing 
interest uh, and involvement in that in the future. I'd like for you to talk and address the sensitivities about foreign military presences in Africa, given the history, uh, which has been nothing short of atrocious. Um, there's understandably a lot of apprehension about increased Chinese engagement because they say it fits into a narrative of the of neocolonialism, imperialism, in part because the memories are still fresh in a lot of people's minds of what it was when the French military, the British military, the Germans, the Italians were all there. Uh, even during the Cold War, the Americans and, and what they did to intervene in, in domestic African politics. Do you think that the Chinese have an understanding of the sensitivity related to the colonial and imperialism narrative, which they should given their own history? And what do you think they're doing to address that? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a very good question. I mean, uh, not long ago, in a very 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 short recent memory. I mean, like five years ago. Whenever we talk about China's foreign policy in Africa, first thing that comes in the rhetoric is non-interference, uh, and 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 this signals sort of a big shift away from this non-interference principle, uh, which for the longest time has been a big characteristic of China-Africa relations. And so you do raise a, a really important uh, point and question there. Uh, and it's really interesting, and it will be interesting to see how in the future this is going to be reconciled. As for now, what we see is, I mean, the Chinese government is absolutely 100% um, aware of uh, these criticisms uh, that are leveled against this idea of uh, foreign uh, and military or foreign presence on, 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 on African um, soil. And I think that the difference uh, or what's been done right now to uh, maybe mitigate for that is, uh, first of all, uh, if you look at it, the Djibouti, the Djibouti base and the way that the deal was signed with Djibouti about the naval base, uh, it included a huge, huge package of a number of things. So it was not just a, a military base, but it was a huge economic deal, a huge economic package to build a, a, a big new city, basically, in Djibouti. And that it comes with a lot of economic opportunities. The way it is, uh, at least the way that the deal is framed, um, and lots of infrastructure, lots of, uh, I think it was also uh, technology transfers. Uh, and what I'm trying to say here is bl blending the economic aspect with security aspect is, is, is a brand for China's uh, defense diplomacy in, in, in Africa. And I think that blending them uh, may, gives it a different product, something different from what these historical examples tell us about foreign presence on African soil. Um, and I, I think, I mean, it, it, the result we'll have to see, right? So this is something that we, we keep reading in, in articles in the um, about sort of uh, Chinese largesse in Djibouti and how that might result in huge debt and that might result in, we don't, I mean, there are lots of doubts and lots of fears. Uh, but what I'm trying to say is, there are um, differences between the way that, that China is, is, is uh, framing and couching this military base in Djibouti and the usual bases uh, or the usual sort of uh, clear foreign or clear interference in domestic uh, politics in that sense. Um, so I think it, we'll have to see what the results of this are. But I definitely think that I mean, both sides are very much aware um, of the experiences of the African you know, countries with foreign powers and also China. 
Support for this podcast comes from the Africa Channel Reporting Project at Wits University School of Journalism in Johannesburg. The ACRP provides reporting grants, workshops, and other professional development opportunities for both African and Chinese journalists. Follow the ACRP on Twitter at WitsChinaAfrica or visit africachinareporting.co.za for information about grants and upcoming seminars. You point out that that this um, defense forum probably was a mix of of a lot of talk about peacekeeping, but also a lot of demonstrations of new weapons and possible, you know, possibly leading to more arms sales. And and China's already, as you pointed out, a quite a large supplier of small arms to Africa. How worried is the Chinese government? Do you think about that contradiction? I mean, this we already saw. Two Chinese peacekeepers were killed um, in South Sudan, um, and you know, to, in, in an area where where China had sold weapons to to some of the some of the, the participants in the conflict. How worried do you think they are that their own peacekeepers are going to be killed by Chinese arms in Africa? Yeah, that was a yeah. It's a very good point. There was a couple of cases. I think you mentioned uh, South Sudan. There were there were a few cases where. Um, some actually Chinese peacekeepers uh, uh, were said to be shot by guns that were sold by Chinese uh, or Chinese-made guns, basically, or weapons. And I think that that, that created a big scandal and it created this uh, whole criticism of the hypocrisy of the game. So if one country is actually contributing the largest number of peacekeepers, uh, what about this, this idea of... Uh, selling weapons, and I think that at some point, uh, the, 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 it comes. I mean, it's not just the case of of China, and, and it's it's it, at some point, it's this huge big problem with maybe a disconnection disconnection between you know the the, the arms sales, what's going on with that, uh, who's responsible for it, where it's coming from, who it's where it's going, and how, what are the routes. Uh, how does it make it to certain conflict zones and the, say, the UN organs or the UN peacekeeping troops? Uh, it, it, in, in a sense, it seems that there is somewhere a gap between those two because the same China that's contributing to uh, peacekeeping troops cannot be the same China that's selling uh, weapons to, you know, uh, to both warring factions, actually. So essentially, there, there, there seems to be a little bit of a lack of experience. It seems to be a lack of um, communication or um, disjointed, uh, basically, operations there. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know how big that is or if it's something that we still see today or if those were isolated cases. I don't know if the Chinese government is doing any may have taken any measures towards, uh, you know, fixing this, but it, it, it makes for a really big sort of uh, image or reputation stunt actually for a Chinese foreign policy when it comes to these things. And, 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 that, and those cases actually were talked about time and time and time again. So I wonder if, you know, I don't know if there has been any measures taken. It's not something, as you know, it's not something we can track uh, easily, this idea of, arms sales. Um, so it's not something yeah. that we can tell. 
Yeah, it's very interesting. We saw that uh, several years ago, actually five or six years ago, back in South Sudan, where the um, where the diplomatic side said that they were putting a, a an arms embargo and joining up with the United Nations on their arms embargo in South Sudan. And yet Norinco, one of the large state-owned weapons manufacturers, uh, was caught selling around $38 million of small arms to the South Sudanese government. And so it kind of showed you that both hands don't always work in sync with one another. And it's not surprising for a government and an organization as large as the Chinese. This is very, very common in the United States, where America's own arms vendors are oftentimes selling to entities which are not aligned with U.S. foreign policy. And I think we have to apply the same kind of criteria to what that it's impossible for the Americans to govern that as effectively as they want to, just as it is for the Chinese. Although we haven't heard reports of that in recent years. So it might be that they, they've got this under control. But again, Norinco and these other Chinese arms manufacturers are not always aligned uh, or communicating with the foreign policy and the defense establishment. They're out there to make money. And that's, I think, what their priorities are. Yeah. And I think, as you mentioned, I mean, there's um, basically two weeks ago, there was a new embargo imposed by the UN Security Council on South Sudan, I mean, an, an embargo on arms, an, an arms embargo, basically. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the resolution was actually drafted, you know, by the US. And I mean, like we'll see, as you said, in a few years, whether this will be a good testing ground for whether things have changed or not. But yeah. Very quickly, just uh, I want to get your take on where we are at this moment in history. And this is the, the Donald Trump question that comes up, because the United States recently announced that it is going to be uh, actually pulling resources out of Africa in, in terms of its fight against terrorism and military resources. And I'm wondering if African governments are now going to start looking more to the Chinese for this kind of assistance that the United States may have once provided. And does this provide the, United, the, the Chinese an opportunity to start building deeper relationships with African militaries if, in fact, the U.S. is starting to retrench a little bit? Yeah, I think the the one big advantage or competitive advantage to Chinese foreign policy in Africa has been the continuity. I mean, you know, you look at it like the past 18 years have been pretty much the same trend and it's just gradually increasing. There hasn't been, you know, every five years or every four years, there's a different administration, there's a different ideology, there's a different practices on the ground. Um, so I think one of the one of one of China's competitive advantages here is that, uh, and I think that that creates and makes for strong networks, strong connections, strong relations with African countries. Uh, they, they, they know it's solid, um, and they know it's it's consistent in that regard. Uh, um, uh, so far, anyway, um, and I, I don't know in terms of uh, replacing the U.S. for providing troops or being a huge security presence in the continent. I don't. I don't necessarily see that happening as deeply as the U.S. has been involved, say, with Africom, uh, or you know, with the U.S. Africa Command. Um, I, I, I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. I mean, I think that uh, there are limits to what the Chinese government might be willing to do. And I don't think that being involved in fighting Boko Haram in a way that Africom is or being uh, involved in ways that are more or less long term uh, is, is one priority for the Chinese government. And um, so, so, I mean, it remains to see, but uh, as you noted, the trends seem to be going opposite directions while U.S. military interests are seeming, I mean, this, the, for the recent, the new administration seemed to be um, basically decreasing or pulling out. 
Chinese Africa military ties seem to gradually be increasing. So there's definitely something to observe there. Finally, um, I was wondering, what, you know, a lot of your work focuses on on Chinese training of, of foreign officials, uh, including uh, um, politicians. Um, I wonder if you can just give us a scale of, of, of how many, you know, particularly military, African military personnel is trained in China annually. Like, uh, what, what is the kind of scale of this, this exchange? So the scale of the exchange is that um, so there are several types of trainings and there are there are trainings for uh, police troops there are trainings for uh, military attaches there are trainings that are short term and others that are long term um, uh, and there are some countries in Africa that send annual delegations they will have a certain quota say of 30 for, for example military attaches every year they send uh, a delegation to China but there are some training programs that are more or less not bilateral but negotiated more, more or less with the entire continent and everybody sends an attaché so there are really different formulas for them, um, and um, and more recently or most recently, there's been a new addition to this, which is training for uh, peacekeepers, and so and that's 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 new. The number for peacekeepers uh, was clear, and it's something that Xi Jinping pronounced at uh, during his uh, trip to 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 the UN, uh, addressing the UN, and the idea was to provide trainings for a thousand peacekeeping uh, troops for uh, African peacekeeping troops. Um, to that extent, that number is clear. The trainings provided for also uh, uh, the African Union uh, standby force are also uh, clear. But in terms of telling you how many, how many of the African, uh, say, high military officials uh, visit China for trainings, those numbers are really, really kind of difficult to come by. Um, in, 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 the, um, in, in terms of what goes on in the trainings, I mean, it's a combination of seminars, depends on, you know, which kind of units could be seminars, it could be actual training tactics, uh, training in, in practical tactics. Uh, and a lot of it also includes witnessing or watching demonstrations by Chinese troops uh, and visiting different facilities and also just visiting different parts of China. So these seem to be the, the, the trends that are common to uh, all the, the trainings. And... Um, I mean, I don't know where I heard this, uh, and I don't know how true it is, but there's an anecdote that says somewhere that, that, that says that every African country has at least one high military official that's been trained in China. And I've heard this maybe like three or four years ago when I was doing field work in China. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that if that's true, the numbers are even higher now. And I, and I think because of the continuity of what's going on, you would expect to see more and more of these numbers increasing. This is one of the least understood but most important aspects of the China-Africa relationship and one that will be a topic of considerable discussion at the upcoming Forum on China-Africa Cooperation Summit in Beijing in September. Uh, if you are interested in this, there is an article that you must read. China-Africa military ties have deepened. Here are four things to know. It's in the Washington Post. We'll put a link to it uh, on the podcast page in the show notes and also on our website. It was written by Lina Ben-Abdallah. Lena, thank you so much for joining us. Lena is an assistant professor of politics and international affairs at Wake Forest University and really one of the great China-Africa scholars of our time. So we really appreciate your time today to walk us through the, the military relationship. Thank you guys for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on the show.
Oh, it's great. And if people want to follow what you're reading and writing these days, what's the best way they can stay in touch with you? I think uh, Twitter might be the best way to uh, stay in touch with me. My uh, Twitter handle is at L-B-E-N-A-B-D-A-L-L-A-H. That's L Ben Abdallah. We will, of course, put a link to that also in our show notes as well, so people can connect with you. Uh, so, Lena, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And we're going to follow up with you after FOCAC to kind of get a debrief of what happened on the military front. Sounds wonderful. Thank you very much. Kobus, I think the most interesting point that Lena made was related to the non-interference doctrine. And this is this really important concept in Chinese foreign policy that is undergoing a profound change. So for much of the history from 1949, really up until the present, China had this idea that it would not interfere in the internal affairs of another country. And for the most part, it has respected that. But now with the new anti-terrorism law that was passed in 2015 that gave the president authorization to intervene in other countries' affairs in order to protect Chinese interests and people. Uh, and now with the deployment of Chinese forces uh, around the world into different uh, areas and different theaters and arenas, it, that, that doctrine is coming under real a challenge right now. And Luke Patey, who is one of the other kind of uh, just really kick-ass China-Africa scholars, and he writes a lot on South Sudan and Sudan, he wrote that really the, the non-interference doctrine is coming to an end for the most part. He wrote that on Twitter a couple weeks ago. And I thought that was so interesting to consider that as China's military relationships in Africa deepen, it's going to run up against some of these benchmark and these bedrock foreign policy doctrines that they've had for decades. And it's going to force a change. And I'm wondering how they are going to articulate that and not abandon their core principles. It's also going to be very interesting to see what the African reaction is to this, you know, because so much so much of of the pro-China side of African discussion is that is around the no strings attached, you know, hands off, you know, mode that China has, China has pursued in Africa, they where they they don't interfere in, in internal affairs. Um, you know, the, the the concept of something like regime change is is really a poisonous one in Africa, especially after the Gaddafi yeah. incident. So yeah, but you'll never see the Chinese, and that's poisonous for the Chinese as well. So I don't see the Chinese engaging in any type of regi- regime change. I mean, they they were. No. No, 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 turned no. off by what happened in Libya. I mean, that was something that they didn't like at all. No, of course, but but what I mean is more that you know I I, I also don't don't anticipate the Chinese actually doing you know even or even moving in that direction. But what what I mean is is that there's a very strong already set up narrative in running in Africa about external external powers trying to intervene in Africa in kind of neo-colonial ways in which you know kind of the the the, the phrase regime change is has taken on this additional kind of weight, you know? So so you see, um, like Robert Mugabe was always going on about how everyone is, you know, is, is planning to do regime change on him. Um, you know, it's, it's this kind of catch-all thing that, that, that African governments use as a way to you know, to 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 show up uh, domestic um, support, even even when what they're doing is is not above board. Um, it'll be very interesting to see whether China gets pulled into these kind of discussions. Well, it's interesting you bring up the the example of Zimbabwe because that may actually reveal more about how. China's military may intervene in African politics than than anything else, because uh, when Emerson Mnangagwa was on his way up the power chain to execute was effectively a coup. Uh, the, the Zimbabwe military and Emerson himself went to 
China into Beijing to talk to the to Chinese leaders. We don't know what was said. We don't know what what was done there. But it was certainly interesting to watch how the Chinese government and potentially even the Chinese military was advising uh, the Zimbabwe, uh, the new Zimbabwe leadership and giving their tacit support. We, again, we don't know, but there was some communication and it didn't happen with the British or the Americans or the South Africans. It happened well, with, it, the, with the Chinese. No, actually, that, sorry, you know. sorry to interrupt you. It did happen with the South Africans. It wasn't, it wasn't, oh, it wasn't okay. just the Chinese. They, they contacted South Africa as well. So, so the, the, the okay. two countries Stand were kind there. of in, were kind of informed beforehand that this is probably going to happen, I think. Now, but do you think that that is revealing in any ways in terms of the military to military relationships and, and how these relationships will play out in politics? I think it's more revealing of, of the, the kind of investment and economic weight of South Africa and, and, and China in Zimbabwe. You know, those because of okay. because of the Western sanctions, you know, the, the Brits weren't as big a factor anymore. Um, and so, you know, South Africa and China were the two biggest, the two biggest people who could, the two biggest um, actors who could cause problems. You know, um, and so I, I think I think they were, were informed beforehand. Well, this is a complex, interesting, fascinating, and and very rapidly changing topic. Again, in addition to Lena Ben Abdallah, I do recommend you check out Luke Patey, and you can follow him at Twitter on Twitter at Luke Patey. That's L U K E. Uh, P-A-T-E-Y. He's a scholar in Denmark at the Danish Institute for International Affairs. And uh, he's and he's also the author of The New Kings of Crude. He writes and tweets a lot about Chinese military affairs in Africa. And it's an absolutely fascinating topic to follow. And again, one that we're going to follow very closely at the upcoming FOCAC Summit in Beijing coming up in September. So that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. Cubus and I will be back again next week. Until then, for Cubus Van Staden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Gwobas at Stadinsky or Eric at E. Olander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China and Africa email newsletter by going to www.chinaafricaproject.com.